Welcome to the GameDev.TV Community Podcast. I'm your host KB, and I would like to introduce you to industry professionals and people who successfully made their path to the video game industry. I hope that you enjoy the podcast and get useful tips that will bring you closer to achieving your dreams. Now, let's get right into the podcast. Welcome to the GameDev.TV Podcast. Elaine, is Elena or Elaine or Elaine? El- Elaine, okay. <laughs> yeah. I see Elana for some reason. But uh, but yeah, welcome to the show, Elaine, and uh, let the game to the TV community know a little bit about who you are, what you're up to, and then we'll go from there. Sure. So my name is Elaine Gomez, and I'm a game designer at an indie studio um, based in Arizona called Elaine Media. Uh, they're the makers of Never Alone. Um, but I most recently worked on Beyond Blue, which was launched a couple of months ago. Um, and aside from that, I'm very active as co-founder of Latinx in Gaming, um, and we're just like really active in the game industry, um, just finding resources, creating a space in the community for Latinx game devs and pretty much anybody involved in, in games in general. So both streamers and, and gamers and biz dev folks, journalists, any anybody oh. that identifies as Latinx. That's incredible. Yeah, we're, nope. we're, I'm a busy girl. <laughs> <laughs> the, the real question is, do you get sleep? <laughs> um, uh, sometimes. It depends on the day, to be honest with See, you. See, Zoe, I'm not the only one. <laughs> so how did you get started with game development? What's your childhood story like? Well, I wish that I could say it was like everybody else's. Like, I grew up loving games and all that stuff, but I'm not as cliche. <laughs> um really? Yeah, like I, we had uh, game systems at home. Um, my father and my mom both worked in tech and pharmaceuticals. Mm. So we had access to like computers and things like that. But my parents uh, were very much about being productive with technology. Um, so they definitely oh, saw like games, games as a waste of time. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I grew up like playing like a read a rabbit and like jumpstart and like very educational games oh so my gosh those yeah, I remember those. <laughs> um, I played those games because they made me have to solve math to finish the game and i was like i can't do this <laughs> yeah but that was me that was my childhood it was just learning <laughs> um and it wasn't until much later in and and i guess when i was about 10 11 12 around that range where we finally got our first console and my first console was an n64 and I skipped a bunch of generations and then went straight to a PS2. Like, I, I missed so much games because my parents didn't want us to waste our time, quote unquote. So that kind of sucked. I enjoyed them. But to be honest, I grew up with music. Um, everybody in my family plays an instrument or sings. So um, instead of playing games and isolating myself a little bit, I actually went to a lot of concerts oh, so um, cool. and got involved with a lot of music stuff. So I guess my game dev trajectory is quite, quite different because um, I grew up in like uh, punk circles and like mm-hmm. heavy metal and like um, I would rather like go in a mosh pit than like play land games or things like that with people. <laughs> like, I mean, honestly, that's kind of exciting and probably, <laughs> probably helped you build a better like um, what's it called? Um, portfolio i guess to build the games you want to build now because you've seen things you've experienced things you're like all right cool let's make games now yeah my perspective is completely different than most of the people around me Mm -hmm. exactly because i i honestly was the same way where i was younger i didn't have Nintendo 64 i just had a sega and then eventually i got a ps2 i missed i just played like with the train sets and figures when i was younger and then i once i had the video first video game it was over. That's all I ever did. Didn't touch anything else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, for me, it was fun. To, it was nice to have, but I enjoyed just 
being out and about and cooking and like doing stuff like with oh, you cook too wow. yes i love to cook in fact um in uh, like in my family because they were so about being productive yeah. <laughs> um instead of joining classes like dance or karate or things like that when what, i was that wasn't productive for them no uh-uh. to them, oh, it man. was like <laughs> so it was like entertainment and they wanted me to really like develop my my brain or whatever maybe my my mom came from a military family so okay that explains a lot. oh yeah yeah that explains a lot yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um instead of going to karate and stuff like that i, I got enrolled in cooking classes is at like eight years old Damn. so like I learned how to do all this neat stuff when I was younger so it, it was great going to college because like I was independent <laughs> you were set, yeah I was said yeah. I was just inviting everybody for like rice beans and like you know churrasco and stuff like that oh, oh, making <laughs> fancy stuff okay yes, <laughs> yes. fancy food yeah people I'm around they just make like the basics of like they throw a chicken on the grill and then they'll have like the worst rice ever and they're like look it's dinner and i'm like no we could do this way better because i love cooking too <laughs> but i was never taught when i was younger i learned it all myself in like well, 16 or 17 but uh, that's no, that good though like, yeah you did a lot though you <laughs> put a lot of experience i wish i had that definitely different than i don't know like to be honest like it's uh, like a double-edged sword for me because mm. i feel like sure it has given me a lot of perspective and like my ideas when i design are much more out of the box because i'm not influenced by like these standard things that everybody else have of experience but it's kind of like it sucks in a way because i cannot relate to a lot mm. of other game devs and i don't see things the way that they do so i kind of feel like i'm like the odd one out sometimes um like i've never played D D in my life i was yeah, never same. I was never exposed to it. My family never knew what that was about. And it wasn't until I went to graduate school when I was like 23, 24, that I even found out what D&D was. But at that point, I'm just like so disinterested because I was like, oh, I don't like this. And it was not for yeah, me. I value really it. I respect it. And I'm happy that many of my friends have built communities and friendships out of it. But it wasn't something for me. Mm -hmm. I'd rather like write a song on my guitar um yeah. then then do that stuff like again it said that those weird perspectives like i'm just different my brain's wired different my interests are different than the norm mm -hmm. and that is okay i i learned to embrace that uniqueness about me and that it's valuable um that it's okay that i'm not like the other devs on my team or other devs that i have met so but it's been interesting an interesting journey because you get that imposter syndrome for mm -hmm. sure like oh everybody understands like all the the history of games from the past yeah. 15 20 years and i know jack because <laughs> i didn't grow up with any of that stuff mm -hmm. you think though it's like better because then while well, they're stuck in the, like, the old ways it's done you're like i just want to push to new to new heights to do things differently than it's ever been done before i have definitely seen that especially with um uh game designers who have been in the industry for a long time mm -hmm. who continue to get inspired or grab uh, inspiration from games that are like 20 years old, 30 mm -hmm. years old. And it's the same constant, like five titles. And you're just like, no, there's like new stuff coming out that just this past year that is pushing the envelope. Like, let's be more like that instead of things that are, were done so long ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. For Even sure. though they were great. It's like, there's still more that we could be doing. We could, like for instance, like Star Wars, Star Wars pushed the boundaries of like special effects and all that stuff. And now they're even pushing more and not being like, Oh, this is how they did it back then. You can learn from it. You're like, this is how they did it back then. Let's try to do it with the new technology we have. Kind of like something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And then when did you start like being like, Hey, I want to be part of the game development industry. Was it high school, college? When was that? 
Um, I guess a little bit started in, in high school. So again, um, I had a lot of responsibility growing up in my house because I was the oldest um, and I was also the only girl. So a lot of like the home responsibilities fell on my shoulders and also just being Puerto Rican, like it's just part of our culture um, that like if you're the, like firstborn like girl, like you have to take care of your brothers, you have to take care of the house, wow. you have to help cooking, you have to help cleaning, you have to wash dishes, like there's a lot of responsibility. So mm -hmm. I didn't grow up like even being in sports like all my other friends, but at my senior year, my, it was, my parents allowed me to join the robotics team. And really? that- Yes, How and I loved it. You loved it? The whole year, the whole yeah. senior year. And we built a robot and we went on competitions. We we won our regional award. Like, I didn't know it was like a whole new world for me. Um, but in that community, we we're a lot of gamers. Um, and we played a lot. And we discussed about games a lot. So I, that kind of opened up the doors for me to potentially pursuing uh, games as a career. Um, and one of the things that I was involved with was making these 3D, it's like a 3D simulation of a safety video. So we were part of this organization called FIRST and mm -hmm. uh, that's the robotics like organization that I guess uh, they create teams all around the, the world. Mm -hmm. um, so we were part of, of, of that. And every year um, there's two things that go on, well, actually more than two things, but for our team, it was building the robot and you get rules every year. It's a new rule set, new things that you have to make your robot with. And then there's a safety video that accompanied it. So dealing with a new robot and the new rules and games for that year, you made a safety video to like 3D simulation of, okay, okay what is something that you, you should be careful of in, in robotics or whatever. So I was part of the animation team. Um, so I learned a bit of like 3D smacks um, and like setting up shots and stuff. And I really enjoyed that. So that was very much game dev related, but mm -hmm. I didn't quite know that it was until yeah. much later. So I would say that opened the door for me. And then when I went to college, my mindset was like, I'm gonna please my parents, so I'm gonna go for a like pre-med track. So oh. I was studying, <laughs> I was studying pre-med and I was setting myself up to be a biomedical engineer. So that okay. was like the what I wanted to do yeah. and I thought I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And then I hated it. I hated everything to do with um, medicine. <laughs> yeah. Is it is it fun though? Because I'm not into that stuff, but like I guess, you know. People enjoy the whole medical stuff, the medicine, how to do the practice. I, I just, to me, it's just like, I can't, I can't be around all that blood stuff. Just like, it just gets me. It was <laughs> tough. Like the curriculum was really tough. And I think that's what got to me that um, it was, it was so a, a sacrificed lifestyle to chase after that. Like you have no social life. You're always studying Ooh. because the coursework is so intense and there's a GPA that you need to maintain in order to be pre-med track. So if you don't have like a 3.0 higher or something like that, like you were, you were done, like you would not be able to pursue the track. So it was, really? it was hard. You put yeah. all that money and it'll be like, you're done. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I, I just got uninspired and um, I started failing a bunch of courses. And that's when I was like, I need to change my major because this is not working for me. And I don't see myself doing this for the next 10, 15 years of my life. Mm -hmm. So um, I sat down with my parents and I was like, I kind of want to get into tech. And they were very much against it because their, their careers were in tech. And they're like, you know, it's going to get outsourced. It's going to be hard for you to find a job here. Like, 
please stay in med or, or engineering. And I was like, you know what? I need to do what is best for me because mm -hmm. it's my life that I'm going to have to live. So I sat down with my dean, my academic advisor, and I was like, listen, I would like to graduate within the four years of, of, of bachelor's. Mm -hmm. So I'm already in, in two and a half years deep. Wow. What can I do? to switch my major and still graduate on time. That was wow. pretty much yeah. what I asked oh for. My. It's like a year and a half to like do everything else. Mm -hmm. do. Mm -hmm. So uh, my dean was like, you know, we have the information technology program. It's one of the best programs that we have in this, the university. Mm -hmm. um, and the credits, uh, they're short enough that you can complete in that amount of time. Um, but that, mind you, you may have to take 15 to 18 credits, which is like a full course load. Yeah. So it was a bit of a sacrifice on my end for sure, but I did it. Um, and I, so I switched my major to IT. I minored in music just because I grew up with music. I loved it yeah, so much, so I minored in music. Mm -hmm. um, and I also almost minored in art history. I was one, uh, one class away from getting a minor in art history um, but just because I loved it. I just loved learning about uh, anything to do with like sculpting and like the evolution of, of art in the same way that I loved learning the evolution of music. So um, all, lo and behold, all that stuff helped me as a game dev. I, I, I would have never thought. Mm -hmm. um, but I ended up uh, getting a bachelor's in IT. And in that program, we had one professor who was big on games academia. And he wrote many, many, many papers on like Second Life and how um, having like an avatar in digital space helped people um, embrace who they are in real life. And he had a, like a dissertation and wow. he was a doctor, PhD for yeah. sure, Dr. Joe Sanchez. So he kind of took me under his wing and he was like, you, you should work harder and you should keep striving to set yourself apart. And he recommended me for this program for minority students in information technology. Uh, he's like, I will, I will write your recommendation letter and I will help you get there. So uh, I was accepted into that program. And in there, I met somebody else who was pursuing her game design uh, degree at NYU Game Center. And in talking with her, I was like, this is what I want to do, like, for sure. Um, and I wrote an entire paper in that, uh, in that uh, research institute about women in games. Uh, and this was back in 2011, 2012, when Gamergate was going on. So I had a lot of data yeah, for, for that paper. Mm -hmm. So it was me with four other folks from around the country in different universities. And we just wrote a really long thesis project on, you know, why are there not a lot of women in games as professionals? And why are women characters designed the way that they are? What are the differences between designing characters in the East, like in Japan, Korea, and China versus the United States and Europe? There's a lot of differences because there's cultural and um, influences there that are different. So um, we, read, we wrote that whole paper, and that was pretty much my in to pursue my graduate degree in game design at USC. And that's where I learned everything at USC Games. Wow. So um, I built my network there with my faculty, all my friends. The Because it was in LA, I, I got to meet a lot of indie game developers outside of school, mm -hmm. plugged myself into all these like groups, game jams, all that stuff. And that's where I grew. 
in those three years at USC. And from there, it was just climbing that ladder. For me, it wasn't as easy to find a job in games right out of school. So for some of my other classmates, that was much easier. I, it, it just really depends if you meet the right people, if you're mm -hmm. at the right place at the right time. For me, it just didn't happen that way. So I had to wait about a year and a half before I landed a game design job. Uh, at Eline, and that's where I've stayed ever since. But my journey is definitely different <laughs> than everybody else's. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of like um, experience and uh, knowledge in so many different areas that have nothing to do with making games, but I was able to bring that all together. Uh, and it makes me that much of a unique game designer because mm -hmm. I value, for example, music and audio like from the get-go instead of putting it at the end. Um, and that sells my designs very, very well because people can like feel feel something in my design versus just reading about it. So all, all those things paid off, all those challenges and all those struggles definitely paid off. And I'm happy to just be here and, and do something that I love. And so we, let's get to the part where you like switched your your majors. Did you did you deal with a lot of like internal struggle during that time? We were like, I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't do that. My parents are not going to accept me. Like, did they were they okay when you said like, no, I'm going to do what I want to do for me? They were a bit resistant at first, mm -hmm. um, but as soon as I started acing all my classes, like I've never done before, mm -hmm. it was like I would write a paper and it was like an automatic hundred. Like I, I didn't struggle. I didn't even have to study because I loved it so much that I absorbed all the information. Um, so when they saw that, they're like, oh, like, why should we fight you if you're doing so well? Yeah, right. <laughs> you're killing it. Just keep going. You got mm -hmm. this. <laughs> and then I inspired my brother um, who also got the same degree as I did. Uh, so he went to the same college and got the same, went to the same department. In fact, I taught um, a game design course at the university. I went to Rutgers, by the way, in New Jersey. Um, so I taught a game design course. And it was funny because my brother was attending at the same time and I would see him sometimes. Oh, my so gosh. I'd be like, crazy. oh, my sister is the professor. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, oh, that's crazy. It was, what, 15 weeks? How was that? Like, how was that hard to design or was it just like, this is fun. Let me teach everyone what I've learned. Yeah, the curriculum, you know, it's different at a, like a big university like Rutgers that doesn't have a games program. Mm -hmm. It's difficult to have folks understand what are the like priorities, I guess, the, the, the important takeaways in games. So I, I came about it, um, the game design, it was more like a game develop, development 101 course because it was in Unity. So I pretty much taught the I taught them the way that I wish I would have learned Unity. So understanding, you know, what are variables, what are data types, and how do you use if conditions? Like really going to the very basic but practical ways of of coding. And I kind of did it in like a tutorial format. So we I broke up my my curriculum to two projects: a two D project and a three D project. And the idea was, I'm going to give you all the tools that you would need to make a game. It's your um, decision of how you want to bring all those tools together to make your game your own. 
So for example, one of the tools is a character controller. Another tool would be uh, an AI system. Another tool would be like a health UI and points UI, things like that. So all those different systems and tool sets. And that way, when you know how to do it and implement it, you can literally do anything with it. And you can move things around here and there to make a health bar be an oxygen meter instead. Mm -hmm. So I really wanted to empower them um, to give them the essentials, which it, and when I learned Unity, that's not how I learned it. I learned it like, let's code and fix all these thousand bugs that I have and just... Really? That's how you learned? Yes, I learned through bugs and... Um, not having like errors. <laughs> oh my gosh. And you learned That's this learned. where? Like at the at USC. USC? Yeah. That's how they taught it? Dang. It was pretty much like, here's Unity. Um, you need to make a game by next week. Have fun. <laughs> really? Like a whole game, like a small game? I, a small oh prototype, yeah. Goodness. And we're like, holy crap. Like a bunch of us had never even heard of Unity. Before. Yeah, like, <laughs> can you imagine opening it up being like, all right, make a game? And you're like, what does everything do? Exactly. It's, it's, a lot. it's like Blender, it's like Unreal, it's like one real worse, but like Unity. It's good for beginners, but like still, you open that up. Yeah. How do I even get a script in here? How do I even do this and that? That must have been tough. But I, did you use like any online courses to help you? Uh, not at in grad school, no. So what we ended up doing was all my classmates together, we would get, um, I guess, not do like study hours, but we would just help each other. And mm -hmm. folks that knew how to use Unity or had experience with game engines would help those those of us who didn't know. Um, and then eventually I did take a class, a Unity class, the second or third semester I was in, 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 at USC. And that helped me learn a little bit more. But still, I feel like code is one of those things that everybody learns it a little bit different. Yeah. Um, and people, some people just grab it really quickly. Were you and, one of those people? Uh-uh. Oh, no. I had to <laughs> practice a lot. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Yeah, it just doesn't come naturally to me. I'm more of a visual. I'm a visual thinker. I'm not like a. I, I do like quality over quantity. So like my 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 brain doesn't operate in numbers and doesn't grab things like that very quickly. But even though it took me a few years, now I'm comfortable where I can go in and type my own scripts, put up prototypes functionally, and present them to my team. Um, so it took some time, but I I got to where I needed to be. And now that I'm older, now it's like, okay, I'll invest time and money in like a certification course so that I can learn more. Um, I never want to be one of those designers where just because I made it, quote unquote, I stop learning or mm -hmm. I don't want to continue to invest in my craft. So I attend, you know, like GDC when they happen because, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, who knows if GDC is ever going to happen? <laughs> yeah, that too. Or E3, all these stuff. Yes. Like, who knows? <laughs> so I always invested in at least, uh, you know, going to talks that that I, I don't know, that I was interested in. Not necessarily even about game design. It could be like AI programming or whatever. Um, but things that were interested that I thought would help me. Um, I always attended those type of talks when I would go to conferences or conventions. Um, going on like Eventbrite and seeing if there's any... Uh, events that I could register to uh, that were interesting to me. Um, and 
making sure that my company knew that I was doing these things because there's professional development help at many studios and they can cover the cost of these things or at least they can give you um, professional development vacation time so that you don't have to use your own personal vacation time to do that. So I'm trying to take advantage of all those things the past couple of years so that I can keep learning uh, and become a better designer because I don't want to design the same way that I did last year or even six months ago. I want to get better every single day. And in order to do that, I need to equip myself with knowledge and practice. So it's not just making games or uh, feature systems at work, but it's also designing my own stuff. And it doesn't have to be a full-fledged indie project. It can be, uh, you know, like uh, making a character controller, like a smooth, full-blown character controller by myself. Um, so that has been a challenge for me. So making character climb and crouch and swing on a vine and like do all these different things, but learning along the way. Um, I've been doing the same thing with shaders, which I thought was black magic. And I was super scared. <laughs> I was super scared to touch black them. Black magic. I love <laughs> yes. it. Um, but now I understand like the shader language at HLSL and going into shader graph both in in Unity and in Unreal and seeing the similarities and differences like I'm doing that all on my own because I want to learn. Nobody's telling me and my work is not telling me. It's I I I am self motivated to do that. And I think uh, that that has helped me accelerate and level up so much quicker than a lot of my friends. So I always push them to also <laughs> be um, yeah. as proactive as me. Cause it really, I have seen it like in my own life, how it has impacted the way that like my leads look at me at, at my studio, the way that the CEO looks at me at my studio, because, because I put in so much work, they can see that I love it. Mm -hmm. And therefore, they elevate me um, in design meetings. They elevate my voice. They respect my opinion because they know that I'm doing all that I can to um, be that uh, voice of reason in the project or um, put in my 110% in our design proposals. So they definitely see that. So you never know in the little things that you invest your time in, how they can impact you and what people will see that will get you to a promotion that will get you to a new opportunity um, outside the studio or inside the studio. So I have seen that in my own life. So it's it's for real. It works. <laughs> it works. Please do it. Yeah, please do it. <laughs> but no, you really mentioned something big where it's like you, you have to really be proactive in your learning, in your life, in anything you want to do because it, nobody's going to tell you. And I, honestly, I want to know how did you get that mindset where you're like, I got to do this. I just got to do it on my own because I know everyone has that. Yeah, I, to be honest, it, it was my, my family, mm -hmm. like my parents pushing me since I was a kid. So like I, like I said before, like they were always thinking you have to be productive even when we were little. Um, my, that, that drive and self-motivation came from, from my parents where they were like, you can set yourself up for success or you can set yourself up for failure. We're not going to hold your hand. You have to make those decisions on your own. So having that support system since being a little kid really helped me. Um, but I do have friends who didn't have that family support system. So I always tell them, you are who you surround yourself with. If my friends are not go-getters and they don't want to learn and grow, if they just want to stay stagnant, the likelihood of you staying stagnant is going to be high because those people do influence you. Um, so I always suggest people, if you don't have a support system as a family, like blood family, you can build your own family with your friends and you can build your own family with 
folks that you've never met remotely online and by plugging yourselves to different communities mm -hmm. like on discord on twitter or on reddit wherever it is that you enjoy spending time in you can find community and friends there and if you have people who sharpen you um, who are willing to challenge you and push you to the next level if they people who encourage you because it's not about like friends who are like um you tell them like oh um I just got a promotion at work and they're like, oh, great for you. Like, I know some people like that who are, are not like encouraging cheerleaders to their friends and that hurts. You want to surround yourself with people who, who would be your cheerleaders and who will challenge you when you do things wrong or when you're slipping up uh, and will be there to pick you up when you fall. Um, like, for example, like I have friends who are having a tough time, like finding a new job mm -hmm. um, and it's there's a difference between having a friend say, you know, I'm so sorry, uh, you will get it next time. Or you have a, another friend who says, you know what, let's look at your resume and your cover letter. I'll help you out. I'll peer review it. Let me look at your portfolio. Like those type of friends make a huge difference. Um, yeah, so wow. even if you only have one or two of those, like to me, that, ha that has meant the world. My, my, my friends and my family, uh, they're the only reason I have been able to, to get this far. Because on my own, I would have definitely slipped up and given up. Yep. Yes. People don't understand how important it is to have that group of friends, that group of community. They'd be like, oh, no, I could do it alone. I can do it myself. I'll just do this. And it's like you can, but you grow faster. Things just exponentially happen better for you if you just put yourself out there, get feedback, be with more like-minded people. Because, again, too, same with, like, you learned a lot of stuff you didn't think you needed. If you have a lot of friends who are, like, doing successful things, even if it's not in the game industry, you can learn so much from them and take that and use it for game design. Or you could be like, I didn't know about the economics like that. Let me use that for when I make my game with like markets and stuff like that. Like you just never know. Right. 100%. I think like, like surrounding yourself with like-minded people, it doesn't have to be game dev. A lot of my close friends are not in, in the games industry actually, but they're go-getters like me. Um, and because we're all go-getters and because we're ride or dies, mm -hmm. um, we just lift each other up when, when we're in need and we're there to listen to each other. Cause sometimes you just need to vent. It's mm -hmm. not about like fixing people's problems. It's just about, you know, finding strength and, and getting inspired again, motivated again to keep going. Yeah. I know. And I know a lot of people in our industry, like I know a lot of game devs who are very introverted. And they do work alone, um, make full-fledged games by themselves, like music, art, programming, design. And I admire that because I wish that I was more self-sustainable and, mm -hmm. like, making my own stuff. But at the same time, there comes a point where when you work by yourself, you can only get but so far when it comes to your growth. If you're really trying to level up, you, you definitely need people there to help you. Um, it's hard to get better at anything on your own. Um, it's hard to think things about things differently by yourself if you don't have people, uh, you know, giving you information or uh, sharing their experiences with you, especially people who have been uh, in an in industry for a long period of time who can tell you about the mistakes that they have made and their failures so that you don't repeat those things. Like that stuff is like critical. And that's why I love things like GDC, where you can meet people who you wouldn't have otherwise met anywhere else. And you can have conversations with veterans 20, 25 years in the industry. And they can tell you, yeah, when I first started, I only made like 
whatever money an hour and I was stuck in like an associate position for like eight years but look at me now and I'm a lead it's just like whoa I love hearing those like mm -hmm. success stories and and stories of resilience because I feel like a lot of game devs like really don't understand that there's a lot of sacrifice that needs to be made if you really want to get to high places you need to put in a lot of work that doesn't mean like have a a, a life where it's all about doing work, you know, and crunch. Um, it's, that's not what that means. But th what that means is that if you're willing to put in work and in, in, in learning and in networking, if you're willing to give a little bit more than bare minimum, you will reap what you sow, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's that's pretty important, especially for young young game devs. I wish somebody would have told me that, like. Five years ago when I when I was graduating about to graduate from USC and I was like applying to big AAA companies without any experience oh, man. um <laughs> and like I was like yeah go big go home I can do this I <laughs> I have a master's in game I design got this. Woo. yeah but at and... the same time like I need to think and be like I still need I have a lot to learn mm -hmm. and I I definitely was not ready now that I, <laughs> I look back I was like I didn't know anything. <laughs> so did that, did that scare you when you like graduated and you were like, I'm still not ready? Did you feel mm -hmm. like, wow, like I spent all these years and still like, like yep. were you, or was that like more like, let's get after it. Let's go learn and get in there. <laughs> For me, it was discouraging. It, it was really discouraging because it, it's both imposter syndrome, but also understanding that I don't know how a studio operates. Like I, in my graduate curriculum, I mostly work on my own. And with my thesis project, I did work with a few other people, but it's not like we had a budget and we had to market and we had to put um, our game up on Steam or anything like that. Like we didn't learn the, the detailed processes of all those things. So there's a lot of knowledge that, I, that you learn in game dev on the job, especially when you work at a studio. Um, when you work on your own, I feel like there's still a lot of information that you may miss. So it's really important to use Google and ask questions. Oh, yeah, Google's your best friend. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of friends who, for example, I'll tell them, oh, you're making a game. What, where are you going to put it at? Oh, I'm going to put it up on Steam. Oh, did you know that Steam takes a cut of the pricing of your game? What? <laughs> what? what do you mean? You didn't... It's just like, wait, yeah. hold on. Like, no, you need to research that stuff, and that's why pricing matters, and blah blah blah. And like, I've I've definitely had those conversations with people, especially folks who are not in the U.S. Being part of Latinx and gaming, um, I get to talk to devs outside of the United States mm -hmm. who are very passionate about making games, but they don't understand how the market works um, because you know that knowledge is not as accessible. Um, and they don't have somebody to ask. So I, I especially see it over there where everything looks like roses and peaches and everything's pretty. And then like life hits you hard. It's like, yep. these are all the things that you need to learn to, mm -hmm. to get your game out there. And, you know, the likelihood of you making a million dollars out of your first game is not very high, no, not <laughs> you <at> know? <laughs> yeah. Unless maybe get Fortnite, but that, that is a whole nother yeah. thing too. That was like, 10 years in the making and then they like scrapped most of it and just made the battle royale and it was it. a whole nother different game yeah it was just like you, you never know you really don't know what things yeah but i'm curious how do you organize your day because if you're doing all this and then like your social like how do you organize all that or balance all that? you know it's it has to do a lot with my personality mm. like i am like i love marie kondo <laughs> her whole like <laughs> her whole life is organization and i feel like i am very much the same way like 
you would if you come into on my desk you will see that everything has a spot mm. um and that's how i am with like my life so like i wake up and i already plan out okay by noon i want to do xyz mm -hmm. in the afternoon i want to do this and and after work i want to do this because i have to schedule my life or else mm -hmm you know, things are going to fall on the wayside. So for example, like spending time with my partner, I have to say, Hey, like this week, um, let's spend two nights together, like playing games or watching a movie. Um, and then the other days I can do a little bit of my mentorships and the other days I can do Latinx and gaming meetings. Um, so I definitely have to structure and schedule my life. Uh, I live by my planner and Google Docs. If it's not on there, I'm going to forget. <laughs> like I, I was really good about that stuff when I was younger, but now that I'm a bit older, it's like things will slip up. So if I don't yeah. have it written down, like it's over. Like I have lots of post-it notes, for example, when an idea comes up. Um, that's how I organize myself too in design. Like I have post-it notes color-coded, like pink means something, blue means something, green means something. And wow, that helps really cool. me. That helps me organize my day. Um, I have a, a planner as well that I use to jot down things on a day-to-day -day basis. So I try to keep track of important things. Mm -hmm. I produce my life. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I have a spreadsheet, but these things, yeah. all these things help me, um, both in my personal life and my work life. Um, and at, now with a pandemic, that's hard, right? Because working from home kind of like blurs all those lines yeah. between it's time to have lunch and it's time to clock out for the day because I could be so productive and I'm in my, sometimes I'm in the zone and it'll be like six o'clock and I'll just go through to like 7.30, even though I should have clocked out. Um, so I'm trying to be good, better at that. In the beginning of the pandemic, it was really, really bad because <laughs> I just wanted to pr be productive all, all the time. Me too. Yeah. You forget to eat. It'd be like four o'clock. Like, oh, I didn't eat breakfast yep. or lunch. That has but, happened to me yeah. a lot. And that's not good for you, for your mental health, for your body. So even, for example, like going out for a walk outside for 30 minutes um, just to keep my body active and to just um, not look at the screen all the time. Yeah, no, that's really, really good because you yeah. can also mess up your back. That's actually mm -hmm. an important thing for anybody doing game development. Take 30-minute walks. It clears your mind. It's good for your health. And honestly, there have been studies that like people just live longer just by walking. You don't even have to do intense workouts. Just walking and breathing fresh air and being out in nature will mm -hmm. prolong your life and I make have, you a better designer. <laughs> yes. I have actually solved a lot of problems by just going on, on a walk and just thinking things through. Mm -hmm. um, like, what are the different solutions? And if I do this, what will happen? So let, what if I do plan B or plan C? And in, in that brainstorming in my walk and just breathing fresh air, like I come back being able to actually uh, solve something, especially in code. Sometimes you just need to look away. Yeah, just it's always give the, it a little break. Go to sleep or take a shower and there's the answer. Mm -hmm. You're like, ah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you need to figure out what's best for you. Like for me, I know that I'm most creative at nighttime. Mm. Um, so I always try to ideate in the evening during the day i'm all about implementing and working like that's that's how i work best so i always encourage people figure out what your best like what your core creative hours are and what your core production hours are and fix your schedule around that because it comes to a point where you can work 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 and you won't be able to fix the problem because your brain's just done for today mm -hmm. you know so you need to be aware of that um 
I know for a fact that after, for example, 1 a.m., like my brain just just goes to sleep um, and I can't do I anything think, think productive. <laughs> yeah, I can't do anything productive after that. Yeah, um, that's funny though. 1 a.m., my brain shuts off. Everybody's like, 1 a.m., yeah. I'm gone. I went to sleep at 10. <laughs> yeah, for some my people phone. though, they are created from like 1 a.m. to like 4 a.m. I know yeah. people who are super night owls. Yeah, that's that's me. That's <laughs> It's weird because like I like to wake up early, but also I like to sleep late. That's where it's always like you're always awake. I'm like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how about you? What is your core productive hours? See, I'm I'm very I uh, early in the morning to like it's kind of like standard working hours for me, which is kind of good. Yeah. Be because it means you can fit into like normal society hours quite well. <laughs> like what? Um, my like my partner works best at night my god that's annoying because like no one else is around for you to work with so it's like <laughs> it's tricky yeah. but i'm i'm best uh, early morning to afternoon as soon as it gets dark i'm out <laughs> <laughs> playing games or I'm, I'm asleep probably probably more likely <laughs> probably sleeping yeah probably sleeping yeah exactly so um, how long oh yeah you go Zoe. Uh, yeah no i just wanted since we're since we're sort of sh- on time um i just wanted to ask you about your you're the co-founder of Latinx Gaming. How where, how did that come about? It sounds amazing and obviously much needed. How did that come about and what exactly, how does it work? What is it? That kind of thing. I'd love to know a bit more about that. Yeah, so Latinx and Gaming uh, really started at a GDC in 2017. And we started off um, with a Latinx roundtable with the IGDA. So that's how we met people. And from there, we just noticed that there was a need and, a, and like a, a desire and a longing from game devs across Latin America and Latinx identifying uh, game devs in, in the United States for a community that was culturally focused. So um, we just decided to take the plunge and, and take that upon ourselves to build that space in that community. So we are a group of six co-founders. Um, and we all are from different countries. Some of us were born outside the United States. Some of us were born in the United States. And we all work in different areas of the games industry. So we all bring a little bit uh, of something special and a little bit of an expertise. Um, so I don't know. Uh, after doing the, the, the roundtable, we kept on doing it every year at GDC. Um until we decided this year to chase after being a 501c3 nonprofit organization. So we got that approval this year, which is really exciting. And then lots of doors opened after that because uh, studios started to see that there was a desire for, you know, to have uh, Latinx uh, appreciation like Hispanic Heritage Month and doing something for that or valuing their Latinx uh, employees by forming uh, employee research uh, resource groups or ERGs within like internally within their studios. So we saw Epic Games put up their own Latinx ERG, um, as well as Riot Games, EA. Um, they were there's lots of studios doing it, and we're so happy to have been an inspiration for that. And we're just hoping to do bigger and greater things as 2021 comes and as the years come by, because we really do want to make a difference. It's not just about, you know, posting stuff on social media um, or having a website. We really want to be 
intentional um, and, and active. So like having tough conversations, like what does it look like to have uh, a process for Latin American game developers to understand how to submit a visa application to work in the United States? Like that, those type of conversations are needed, um, but the resources are not there for them. So can we bridge that gap, for example? Um, how can we get our resources here in the United States um, where we have access to like developer kits for different consoles or we have, um, you know, access to studios who are willing to sponsor financially, depending on whatever initiative. Like, if we can bring those type of resources and access to Latin America, where there it's much more needed, um, that's where we want to make the difference. So we're trying to figure out how we can do all those things and just connect uh, uh, Latin American and uh, uh countries like Puerto Rico and Dominican Republic and the Caribbean to the United States and Latin American identifying folks all around the globe and in Europe and in Canada and Australia even, and just making making them feel like they belong somewhere in, in the games industry and that they're not alone. Um, I know that for me, like uh, being born and raised in Puerto Rico, coming to the United States, uh, I grew up in in a school district that where I was one of a handful of of Latinas, um, and I felt alone. And then coming into the game industry was even worse because we are unicorns, like Latina game designers. You don't see them. Um, so being able to create a community so that people feel like they can come together and like brainstorm together, have friendships, play games together, um, and even help each other find opportunities at studios where we may know somebody um, that could, you know, change somebody's life. So that's what we are passionate about. And that's what we do. It sounds amazing. It sounds like you've made a, a real tangible, like a tangible difference to people's careers and lives. It almost goes like way, way deeper than game development. It's more yeah, it's a lot more sort of deep-rooted. Changing yeah. the world. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. definitely. Changing yes. the world one person at a time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, you should, um, yes, you should be very proud of what you've done. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're, we're really, really proud. And it's a lot of work. We always tell people that trying to make a difference and being an impact, like, it really is a lot of work. And, like, like you were saying, Kevin, like, how do I organize my life? <laughs> Where it's just, like, I have a full-time job and a personal life, and I also help run a nonprofit. It's yeah. a lot of, it's a lot, a lot of work, <laughs> mm -hmm. but we're lucky that we're a team, right? So we can, you know, if I say, Hey, this month I can take care of these things, but next month I don't have the time. We rotate our responsibilities. Um, and we talk to each other about a good communication and teamwork has been critical in that type of stuff so that everybody feels like they are pitching in and nobody feels like they're taking on too much work alone. Um, that, that really has helped us with our time management and, and um, I guess not, not crunching when things happen because we at least, at least two people are involved in any giving thing in our org. So, so that's great because it really loosens the burden of having to do things by yourself or being the owner of something because uh, that can be really scary on top of all these other things that we're responsible for in, in our lives and our careers. Definitely, there's definitely a skill in um, if you have, you know, your day job, balancing sort of charitable activities or like social enterprise activities around it is hard. 
it's also hard to like organize other people around you to do that is really is really difficult so I commend you for finding a way of doing it (laughs) thank you yeah (laughs) (laughs) it is possible it just like you said it takes it takes a a village but it takes the proper mindset it's just like not everybody who loves games are meant to be game developers um, or content creators. Like, for example, I would not be cu- cut out to be a content creator. I just don't have the patience for it. But I'm a good game designer. I'm a good dev. You know, so we all have to play with our strengths and our weaknesses and understand what where we can make the difference um, and what we excel at. And then when you get together with other people who have, you know, strengths where you have your weaknesses and then you make games together and make initiatives together, then that's when things happen and big, big things happen out of that for sure. Yeah, definitely. It, it also kind of sounds like you had lots of allies within the game dev community that, that sort of took what you were aiming to do on and helped you achieve those aims. Uh, what, you know, what was that the case? Did you find lots of willing allies who shared, you know, your, your goals and your, you know, this need for more Latinx people to be supported within the industry? Oh, yeah, 100%. I think uh, we started off as a special interest group inside the IGDA. So there was already desire from the IGDA to to have that space. Um, so starting off from there, we already were able to, you know, have conversations with like IDGF Foundation um, and other initiatives that the IGDA has for like underrepresented groups like women in games and black in gaming and and all of those special interest groups um as well as um like I need diverse games and um uh game devs of color expo like all those folks were all in the same community and we're striving each and every day to uplift our communities. So definitely lots of allies from the, from the beginning made it a lot easier to exist and to do what we, what we wanted to do, our heart's desire was to help the community. Um, and as we uh, attended different conventions, because we, we definitely grew by word of mouth. It was like, let's go to GDC, let's go to PAX, let's go to E3. And we would have meetups. In the beginning, there was only like five people. Um, and then we grew and grew, and like our Discord now has like 1,800 members. So um, it really was just uh, not just us, but everybody that came on board in the community telling their friends and just being a domino effect um and that that within itself was was the accelerator of of our group growing and our group being able to make a bigger impact than we were we were doing in the beginning because when you're grassroots and you don't have money and you don't have all the connections that you need it gets that much harder to want to make big dreams become a reality mm-hmm. right um when we were like putting in like out-of-pocket money to to do boosts on like facebook or or twitter or get linkedin premium or all those things like that costs money like getting a domain name um and having a service a host for the website like mm-hmm. all that stuff came out of pocket from the beginning because we it was just something that we really wanted to do and we didn't know how to do it so we just took it up on ourselves literally um, but now things have changed, and it's great to see that all those all those seeds that we planted, we're st- starting to see them grow, and they're starting to blossom. Um, and we're just hoping for 
for the best as we continue to grow. Because with growth comes a lot of responsibility uh, and a lot of bullying as well. It's not all. Yeah, like online, for sure. A lot of trolling. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, for that? sure. Is this trolls for the Latinx? Really? Oh, yeah. Like, there's this big thing that we had to go through during Hispanic Heritage Month where people didn't want to, um, uh, they didn't want us to use the word Latinx. They were like, Latinx is a made up word. That is like white supremacist. Like, you are blah, 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 trying to. You're like, but I'm Puerto Rican. <laughs> yeah. Now they were like, you're trying to change the Spanish language. And it was just like oh, a no. lot of stuff on Twitch and on Twitter and on Facebook everywhere. Um, and it was hard because all yeah. that we wanted to do was be inclusive. That's the reason why we put the X at the end of Latinx instead of Latina or Latino. Because mm -hmm. Spanish is a gendered language. Yeah. Um, so we were trying to do our best to respect and be mindful of folks in our community and outside who don't identify within the binary. Um, to make them feel included and make them feel that they mattered to us too. Um, and people just don't like that. Like, especially in our Latin, in the Latin American community, there's a lot of misogyny, ingrained misogyny, ingrained homophobia. Um, and we're trying to break those, those, those cycles and barriers. And it, that is really hard to do, especially mm -hmm. with our folks outside the United States. Yeah. Where things are not as progressive. It's not at all. It's <laughs> like, we're literally trying to change the mindset of the world. Exactly. Which is not easy, but you know, hey, might as right. well. Time to move us forward and into a world where we can actually come together and have different ideas and, and grow forward and accept everyone. And one day we'll have that. <laughs> but we, we see it as worth it. Like all of those challenges and people, you know, being mad at us or whatever. We, we don't mind going through that because for us, the outcome is much far greater than those, that stupidity and immaturity in our opinion. So it's just like, you don't like it. It's cool. Like, our community is appreciated of it and that's what matters to us they feel safe they feel included they feel valued and respected that to us matters everything and more than some troll being like you guys are stupid <laughs> you know what i mean we're like it's all right yeah it's like honestly you can't even really take that seriously anymore because it's, it's mm -hmm. like the person wouldn't say the same thing if they were in front of you they're only saying it because of like this social yeah. media the screen is right yeah it's, it's kind of like who are these people are they even should they even are they credible no it's, yeah it's, doing it's you. people who you know it's with with anything okay like especially now with covid and everything that we saw this year with the elections pol politics and changes in our society there's always going to be people who either want to be play devil's advocate or feel empowered on the internet because they can hide their identity mm -hmm. and they feel that it's okay for them to say hateful things mm -hmm. or disrespectful things to put people down or whatever it may be. Um, so in, in any community, any conversation, you can have people that will behave that way, right? Mm -hmm. So do you either feed into it, you ignore it, or you correct them? Like there's different ways to come about it. And we choose to correct people and help them understand what, what Latinx means and why we use it. And if at that point they're like, well, I don't care. Like, this is like my opinion. At that point, we're just like, you know what? Like, it's fine. Like, you do you. Yeah. We did our part. Um, and, and I think that's the important part. It's not about winning the argument. It's about helping people understand. If they want to understand, cool. If not, you can go on your merry way mm -hmm. and live your life. We're still going to be doing what we're doing. Because 
Um, our org is not here to define a word in a dictionary or change like Merriam-Webster, add Latinx into the dictionary. Like, that's not what we do. We're here to uplift the community, you know, and that's it. If you are, if you are making it all about the word instead of the actual work, then everything that we're doing is going over your head, you know, and you're not seeing us. Yeah. You're actually just being critical for yeah, no reason. Exactly. <laughs> That's beautiful. And I actually wanted to ask, what would you say to people who are going through like obstacles, like being out of the U.S. or, or dealing with like, um, you know, discrimination, stuff like that? What would you tell them that like it's, it's possible that you, it can get to here? It, you know, it gets, it gets better. I, I, I will definitely say like, I, I went through that growing up. Like I, like I said, I was the only one of like five or six Latinas or Latino and Latinas both, um, in my school growing up. Um, I was very lonely at, at, at college and whatnot. Like I, I've been there. Right. So I speak from experience, like it gets better, but it gets that much better if you surround yourself with people who love you and value you. Um, and for me, like my closest friends are all, uh, people of color. Um, and we sharpen each other and help see each other's perspectives when it comes to, to things going on in the world. Um, and we have grown so much, uh, together as people because of that. So I would say if you are feeling in the industry specifically, right. Um, if you're feeling like you're alone and you're isolated, you have felt discriminated, like reach out to me, reach out to Latinx and gaming, IGDA, like there's so many organizations who are out there doing so much work to create safe spaces for all of us, reach out to them and they will connect you to the right people. They will do what it needs to be to, they will do what it takes. Um, to rectify situations within reason, right? Um, so, re so just reach out. Don't be afraid to ask for help um, with anything because there, there are people out there who, who really want to make a difference like me, like the co-founders of Latinx and Gaming. Like we, we're here to help in whatever way we can. So that's what I was saying. The, 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 the worst thing that you can do <laughs> when you're um, facing whether it's an online harassment, whether it's like workplace harassment, discrimination, like people disrespecting you, people not valuing you on your team, um, you're feeling alone because you're diving alone and you don't know, you know, if you can reach out to an artist to help you with something. Uh, the worst thing that you can do is uh, push yourself away further and further and further. That's what I used to do when I was younger because I didn't know what else to do. Um, and it put me in a really, really dark place. So um, I would say, even if it's just one person um, that you can cling on to, one person who will fight for you, one person who is there to encourage you, um, make sure you have that. And if it's really hard for you to get that, just reach out to me, I guess. Because um, I know what that feels like. <laughs> and that's why I love mentoring. Um, that's something that's really hard to come by in, in games. It's finding somebody who will take their time to look at your game design document, look at your prototype and give you honest feedback and actually care about your work. And that's why I love doing mentorships because I want to be that ally for those young designers and devs. We don't have anybody yet. Um, they can feel free to reach out to me and ask for my opinion. And when they see me at conventions and stuff, like I can introduce 
you to my network and then you can Ooh, build more okay. and more. Yeah. Yeah. That's how we do everybody. If you speak to any of my friends in industry, they'll be like, when I went to DDC and I met Elaine, she introduced me to like 12 people in like 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's what I love to do. I just like to build relationships. And when you build relationships with people, they last. It's not like, a quick one second, here's my business card. And then I don't remember your face. I don't remember your name. I don't remember anything about you. But if you have a conversation with me and was genuine and I have a relationship with you and now I have you on Twitter, I'll remember you. I'll have you on LinkedIn. And then when I see you again, I'll be like, oh, so-and-so, let me introduce you to the lead game designer of so-and-so because I think you would value from a conversation, right? And that's the type of stuff that I've been able to do the past couple of years and I love it. That's incredible. I love that. I just love the idea of like sharing stuff, like getting like knowing other people, meeting new people. We're, we're supposed to come together and like everybody's friendly. It's not the whole like we're alone or nobody's nice. No, this world, there's there's people who always want to help and be helped. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there are jerks. Like, don't get me oh, wrong. Of course, there are jerks yeah, they're out there. there but, but it's not the majority. It's true. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> I, in my experience, I've met more people who've actually like friendly and care about you than not the, the opposite. Like, 100%. So, yeah. yeah. And they're always willing to, um, at least from people that I have met, everybody's willing to extend extend their lending hand where they can. Mm -hmm. um, so don't be afraid to ask for sure. That's one of the major things that I learned all like my adult life. It's like, don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask for a resource. Don't be afraid to ask for a call with somebody if you really admire. The worst thing that they can say is no. Yeah. That's yeah, the worst thing that they can say. Order their bandwidth is full or something like that. <laughs> I was like, all right. <laughs> really great to talk to you. You sound like a, you know, really motivated still in your work. Despite working remotely, you're doing all the things you were doing before, which is really cool. KB may have asked you this already. I don't know. But at the end of a podcast, we asked you to give a challenge so the listeners can try it in the next week and develop something. It could be anything be drawing writing anything it's weird that would be great yeah i was actually thinking about this so one of the challenges that i would love something that i would like people to do is to write a does like come up with a design in just 10 minutes and see how far you can get it so just put your timer for 10 minutes think about uh, I'll give you a theme just to make it a little bit easier. So let's make the theme cooking just because I love yes. to cook. So in 10 minutes, design something with the theme of cooking. It can be a mechanic. It can be uh, UI for a cooking game. It can be something, but something cooking related in 10 minutes and see what you come up with. I'd love to see it. That's a really good challenge. Yeah, I guess it's perfect. <laughs> That's a really good challenge. And then the last thing I guess to say is thank you so much for speaking yep. to us. Uh, really inspirational person. This has been one of my my favorite, but personally oh, one of my favorite interviews. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And you know, I just I I love doing these things because it's a form of me to give back. Um, I've like struggled a lot in my life and I've suffered a lot, and I'm still here. So if I can make it, even though I've been through the ringer, anybody can. So if I can be a little bit of inspiration to somebody, that's that's. That just makes my my heart sing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and just to finish off, if you have any projects you're working on, anybody you want to shout out, you want to give, I don't know, the socials for your Latinx in gaming, anything like that, just 
a plug. It's plug time. Anything you want to plug? <laughs> yes. So you can follow me on social at Chulatastic. That's Chula and Tastic, like fantastic. Um, and you feel free to send me a DM if there's like game design questions, game dev questions you may have. I'm, I'm always willing and ready to, to help or at least point you in the right direction. Um, for Latinx in gaming, our social is Latinos in gaming. And you can find us on all of socials as well on Facebook and LinkedIn and things like that. And I guess for future stuff, um, we have some really exciting stuff happening with Latinx and gaming in the next couple of months. So definitely stay tuned on that. Um, a lot of really neat opportunities that have risen up. And then for me, um, I'm still working at Elon. So just, I guess, keep a, keep a lookout for Elon the next couple of months or anything that we may release and support my work. I really appreciate that. Well, that's it. Thanks for listening. You can find all GameDev.TV courses at courses.gamedev.tv slash courses or in the show notes with a 10% discount. Get started with your game development journey today.